gonna take it. and basketball analysis with over 70 years combined experience. This is the Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman podcast. NBA, some college, a little bit of everything. You know, what can I say? But it wasn't going to happen here with him. I was okay with it because it wasn't about talent, I didn't think. All right, let's, let's get right to it. All right, welcome in another edition of the Ryan and Goodman podcast. I'm Jeff Goodman. He's Bob Ryan. And we have a special guest today. Uh, we have none other than new Houston Rockets head coach, Stephen Silas. Stephen, um, do you know Bob Ryan? Do you remember him? He tells a story. You, you should remember him back from when you were five years old, Stephen. Do you? Of course I remember Bob Ryan. That's like family. In, in uh, Silas' household, there's uh, like my grandparents and my uncles and aunts, and then there's Bob Ryan. <laughs> well, did, he dunk, did he dunk on you in this this Nerf basketball game when you were five, I, I want to know if he dunked on you and celebrated. We need video of this. That was before all that dunking and celebrating <laughs> stuff. There were more, more uh, layups and, and just run back down court. We didn't do all that stuff. Before. I got to tell the world that I go back farther with this new coach of the Rockets than anybody else uh, <laughs> in the business because he, I, he can't remember this specifically, but I can tell him that uh, you're the first NBA coach with whom I played Nerf basketball on my knees in your living room. How about that? <laughs> in Seattle. This How is when your dad, had, the first year he was with the Sonics. Uh-huh. And I was out and I, I was over visiting. And uh, uh, we wound up, you and me, going one-on-one on, on, on Nerf basketball. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I don't remember that. Those are, those are the days, though. Stuff like that doesn't happen anymore. I know that. Uh, well, I'll tell you, your, um, your background uh, – with the dad, because dad's one of my all-time favorite people, and but uh, we'll get to that in a little while. But what's this last? What's it been like since you <laughs> were named coach? I mean, is it just a whirlwind, or what, what? What's been happening? It's very much a whirlwind. There's the putting together a staff part. There's connecting with the players part, whether it's via text and then following up with phone calls. There's coordinating with the management and the ownership on the vision of what we're going to be going doing going forward. There's all sorts of plays and coverages and stuff <laughs> on my boards, just trying to get organized in my head. There's practice plans to be, to be done. And uh, the, the clock, the clock is ticking on <laughs> whenever training camp is going to start. So there's a lot going on and it's so exciting. I have a great, opportunity here and a really good group of uh, people to work with. So it's been definitely a, a lot. My wife is dealing with, you know, housing and schools for the girls, but it's, it's all good stuff. I'm, I'm not complaining one bit. So, I mean, uh, in, in the basketball world, there's the big conversation has been about the, the, the starting date, and and for some teams, of course, it, it'll be ten months since they played. Other teams, it'll seem like it, it, the season ended yesterday. And, and you guys certainly went deep. And and therefore, uh, has there been much of that discussion in your organization, or are you just saying, well, there's the date, we're going to live with it, and that's that? Yeah, a little bit of both, I would say. You know, th- this team did go uh, to the second round and and didn't have the long layoff um, if, if the calendar kind of stays where it is. So being attentive to that, but also making sure that they're physically going to be able to 
endure the grind and, and uh, making sure that we, we schedule training camp and put it in a format to where they're not really having to grind all that much, as much as I want to do as far as putting in my stuff and putting my stamp on this team, it really is going to be dependent on their ability to physically handle it and looking long-term and big picture instead of just like the first three days of practice. So for people that look at you, they'll, they'll be shocked by the fact that you've, you've been in this for 20 years as an assistant. You look like you're like 31 years old. You're not. You're closer to my age than, than 31, uh, and I'm 49. Um, what's it been like, though, the grind, Stephen, of 20 years now? A lot of it was working for your dad, um, so I'm sure you didn't think of it as probably as much of a grind. But what, what was it like to get that call after at 47 getting a head coaching opportunity? It was amazing. You know, you go through these job interviews and the head coach position interviews, and you're not really sure if you have a chance or not. And this year was different because, you know, some of the other interviews that I had were Zoom interviews. So it's hard to connect via Zoom and it's hard to get the the eye contact and the social cues that you would usually get in a face-to-face meeting. This um, interview process in Houston was great because it was face-to-face and I flew down to Houston and was able to meet the people and a lot easier to relate in that way. But to actually get the job after years and years of interviews and good seasons. How many had you been up for? How many, do you remember how many jobs, how many interviews you've gone on? Have you, have you lost count? Um, Is it that many? Yeah, no, it's probably like nine or 10, nine or 10 interviews, uh, including two here. I interviewed here when they hired Mike D'Antoni. So, um, that, that was a, actually an advantage coming in for this interview because I knew a lot of the people yep. and uh, how they wanted to play and all that. So I definitely had a leg up this time. But, you know, the years just kind of go by. And the thing about coaching that is so great, especially as an assistant coach, it's very much relationship-based and you kind of get lost in helping players get better and, and helping your head coach and not necessarily thinking about the big picture as far as, how long I've been doing it and and that sort of thing. So just diving into the players, I guess, kind of kept me sane as I went through the whole process. But I do remember my dad kind of going through the same thing. And uh, he was obviously the head coach with the Clippers when they were in San Diego and then waited, you know, umpteen years until he had his chance in Charlotte. So I remember him going through the same interview process and, us getting excited because maybe this is the one and he wouldn't get it. And same thing for him. He would just dive into his players and dive into his preparation and really use the the time that he had with the coaches that he coached with. I mean, he coached with Chuck Daly and Pat Riley and some really good coaches. So uh, that's what I've tried to model myself after. It's great that I have a uh, a dad like I have to that's had so many experiences. So kind of getting through it hasn't been the grind that it maybe it seemed like it would have been. I remember at one point, um, one of the jobs he would have liked to have had when it was up was Boston. Yeah. I remember, I remember that, that very well. I remember talking to him during that process. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the line he used to use in those days about, you know, why he should be the coach. That I could tell him what time the bus leaves as well as anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, I used to put, we, used to, 
frame the head coach job in terms of you, you're the guy who tells what time the bus leaves. <laughs> That's my dad. That's it. I believe it. <laughs> I got to tell a story right now because I don't want to forget it about about Paul Silas. Okay. And my, just exhibit A and why he's one of my, my all-time favorite guys to cover. And one night in the, about circa 74, uh, we were in Buffalo. And that was a terrific rivalry at the time. They were loaded with Bob McAdoo, Ernie D, Randy Smith, uh, et cetera, Jim McMillan. Yeah. And it was a good rivalry. And it had come out of a tough playoff series, uh, a six-game series. And, and we were there early in the season, and um, they got a big crowd. And he says to me before the game, how many are out there? And I said, well, it's going to be 18,000. They say it's going to be the biggest crowd in the history of Western New York. He used to frame it that way in Buffalo. He uh-huh. said, good, we're going to send them all home unhappy. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, they did. Which, of course, he did. That was, that was classic Paul Silas. I just had to Yeah, him. for sure. That's him. <laughs> that's, that's him in a nutshell. And, and uh, the way he sent them home with physicality and uh, – I'm sure a, uh, a little altercation here or there was, <laughs> was uh, his style. <laughs> no, no kidding. No kidding. How, how are you um, similar, Stephen? How are you similar and how are you different than your dad? Give me like the one thing that you're the most similar, um, whether it's personality, coaching style or whatever, and then the one thing that you are completely different than your dad. <laughs> That's a really good question. I would say our similarities are we have a – like a quiet toughness about us, but we're easy to smile. My dad is, if you know him, you know that he is quick to smile and, and uh, just like the most genuine person, but from the outside looking in, he may not necessarily seem that way just because he's kind of gruff and, and whatnot. And I can seem that way as well. I can seem, sometimes I can seem a little quiet, reserved, um, you know, serious and, and that, but you get to know me and I'm, I'm quick to smile, quick to laugh, quick to enjoy myself. So we're similar in, in that vein. And we have a lot of the same uh, qualities as far as our, our personalities, for sure. Our difference is our stature, 100%. And he uses his stature to his advantage, uh, very much so. But, you know, he's big and burly and strong. And I'm uh, long and skinny and uh, not ne- not nearly as imposing as my dad. So uh, I would say those are the, the two things that stick out. Among your experiences uh, in the coaching world are, are international. Uh, you've had experience in, in uh, Africa, Asia, uh, Germany, uh, and, and so forth. Um, how does that play into the coach you've become and, and what you can accomplish uh, the, the international experience? it really helped me kind of separate myself from my dad. I was very intentional at the beginning as far as I knew that uh, he gave me the opportunity to be a scout and then kind of work my way up to the coaching part. But I also knew that I was going to be Paul Silas's son for a long time. And I knew I was going to have to meet new people, have new experiences. And the NBA does a great job of allowing assistant coaches to do basketball without borders or camps overseas or, you know, all sorts of clinics. So I I used every summer, I wanted to do something separate from my dad where I could grow as a coach Mm -hmm. and uh, get to meet some people and, and, uh, you know, kind of hone my own craft because that's at the beginning of my career, that's all I knew until I went to work for Don Nelson, which is a whole (laughs) nother story. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, but yeah, I was definitely very intentional as far as doing all those overseas camps. And and the other part of going overseas is they they really don't have the resources as far as coaching and and uh, facilities and all of that. So to go and to be able to coach the coaches and to coach the kids and have them have a memorable memorable experience was also something I, I really enjoyed. Now, I know you went uh, as part of Basketball uh, Without Borders to Africa. Uh, yeah. I got to ask you, as a, as a Black man, how that experience moved you. Oh, so much of it is just amazing to see Black people everywhere in every position. And um, they, they went through apartheid. And, and, you know, there's a lot there kind of under the surface. But to see how proud they were... Uh, after all of that went down and how pr- how proud they were to have us there and, and how friendly they were. But we also went to, you know, a town called Soweto where there's homes like shacks basically made of metal sheets and no running water and the the joy that those people had and they were dancing and playing music and little kids just running up to you, just wanting to hold your hand as they walk through the, through the town. It's just like a life changing experience, especially as a, like you said, a black man from America, you really don't get a feel for that, uh, that part of it um, in Africa. So that was uh, an eye opening experience, definitely educational experience and one that I'll remember forever. So I won't claim to know Harden and Westbrook well, but I've, I've, I've been around them since they were back in AU ball. Okay. So that's the one claim to fame I have. I've covered them <laughs> AU college and in the NBA. Um, they're unique personalities. That's how I'll, I'll describe them. They're very different, but unique. And obviously we know most of these NBA stars have egos other than I think Steph Curry, who, you know, hasn't <laughs> changed one bit. Like yeah. the one dude I can say has not changed one bit since I first met him when he was at Davidson um, how well do you know these guys and how do you, how do you deal with them? How do you, how do you get to know them better quickly? Because that's half the battle, isn't it? As the head coach is making sure those guys trust you and, and you have that type of relationship where, uh, they're going to play hard for you and respect you. Yeah, it's a fine line. So to answer your first question, how well do I know them? Not super well. Uh, they were part of the interview process and they signed off on me to for the ownership and uh Rafael Stone our GM to hire me so uh that helps you know coming into a situation where they know where I, at least I know that they wanted me to be here but the the main thing for me and those guys is to let it happen organically obviously I want it to happen as soon as possible and sooner than later but trust needs to happen organically to me for it to be long lasting and for it to be true um, I, I don't want to there's try to force myself and let these guys know how much I know or who I know or what our connections are and all that stuff it really just has to be a day-by-day practice by practice game by game basis where they understand one that I can help them play better and, and play as well as they could possibly play and play their game Two, I can help the team uh, play well and play deep into the playoffs and and that sort of thing. But uh, it just has to be a genuine relationship that that can't be forced or pushed. And um, 
you know, it's going to take time. And I, I get that. And that's, I think that's like you were talking about me not being so young. I'm 47. I think if I were in my thirties, I, I wouldn't necessarily understand that, that process as far as, you know, letting it happen organically and, and it'll come because I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm smart. I'm experienced. And uh, I, I have a good vision for this group. I think anyone who follows basketball, um, whether from the media through the fans, the, have one question about the uh, 2020 21 Rockets is how are they going to play? The, uh, the two architects of a certain style are gone. Yeah. Uh, Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni are gone. And now you are the new coach of a team that everyone has a certain image of as the way they have played the game uh, in, in an extreme Bob, manner. Tell them, I should tell say. them how much you love. Tell I'm them how much you love how the Rockets play the game, Bob. This team has had a, a, an unusually strong commitment to the three-point shot, okay? I'll just let, I'll let it go with that. Bob hates um, the three, Stephen. Bob hates the three. All right, <laughs> but I'm trying to put that aside. I'm, I'm, I'm being a Be I'm, careful, I'm, my personal Bob. feelings I'm about the three. I, I know it's here to stay. But seriously, Stephen, um, this uh, is it, it going to continue? I mean, how, how, I mean, I do. How, how's this team going to play? <laughs> It's going to be similar just because there's a couple of reasons it'll be similar. If you look what we did in Dallas, and I was offensive coordinator in Dallas, a lot of what we did was based on Luca having the basketball, Porzingis as a screener, roller, popper, and then we had a bunch of three-point shooters on the perimeter, really just trying to take advantage of the space on the floor and getting the ball into the paint, and whether we finish at the rim or finish with a three-point shot there the analytics go along with that and um you know that's kind of the way that I've kind of grown to to think about offense you think about when I coached with Don Nelson uh 15 years ago he was playing small and we were shooting a bunch of threes and people were like oh my god it's crazy we were probably shooting 20 threes a game (laughs) and now it's 50 but um, but I'm comfortable in a bunch of different ways. I've, I've worked with Nelly where we played small ball and where we did it a little bit in uh, Dallas. But then when I was in Charlotte, we had Al Jefferson down in the post. And, and you know, you really have to just play to your team's strengths and the makeup of your roster. We're trying to have a roster that can play in multiple ways and have a traditional center out there where we can roll and, and uh, play a little bit more of a physical brand of basketball. Uh, Cause that's obviously what I grew up on and have tinkered with it a little bit, but um, small balls definitely going to be a part of what we do because they've had success. They were sixth in offense last year. And for me to say no more small ball wouldn't be prudent, especially with the short window that we have coming going forward. So to answer your question, it'll look a little bit similar Hopefully there'll be a little bit more ball movement, a little bit more player movement, a little bit more um, focus on the paint to create threes as opposed to just um, coming down and shooting threes. But, um, you know, that, that's kind of how I see it. I, I, I'm, I'm with the analytics. I'm with um, how the game is played today. But I'm also with the spirit of the team and the spirit of a player as far as his ability to know that, he can just play his game and he doesn't have to really think outwardly about the analytics part. He needs to be free to play his best. NFL football continues on this week, which has a few surprise teams at the top of the standings. 
You might not be at a game this year, but you could still be in on the action at Bet Online. No matter how schedules change or players that play, Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere else on Bet Online. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great midseason bonuses, offers, and contests. Bet Online your online sportsbook experts. As an opposing coach, what was it like to confront James Harden? And are you, you know, I mean, what, 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 yeah, just tell me, what's it like to to see him out there doing what he does, knowing you can't stop it? (laughs) He wants to step back from 35. He's stepping back from 35, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's so hard. Preparing for this team has been a nightmare for excuse me, for multiple reasons. I mean, so James can really do it all. He can score on every level. He can, he handles the ball. He makes good plays with the ball and you get the ball out of his hands. And now you're dealing with four on three and open three point shooters. And it's very much pick your poison. And then the small ball aspect of it, where you're having, if you have a traditional center trying to guard this small ball lineup, where is he going to be on the floor? Is he going to be down the floor? And now you're giving up threes. Is he going to be up? And now he's giving up penetration. So uh, the, the James Harden part of it is a nightmare to prepare for. And based on the fact that he averaged 35 a game last year, there aren't too many people who have figured it out. So I'm not going to mess with it. But um, <laughs> but this preparing for this team has been kind of hard but then as you get to the playoffs, if you're kind of playing the same way the whole time, it becomes easier game by game by game, whether you're playing against the switching defense or the small ball offense. So like I said, the versatility is going to be important for me going forward, just so we have more tools to, to go to, especially as a playoffs approach. So how quickly and what was the moment you realized Luca was off the charts special? Um, it wasn't immediate, like what, looking at him walking in the gym, it's like, man, that guy is big to be 19 years old, <laughs> you know, but he wasn't especially fast or, or anything like that. But I would say probably the first time I saw him compete in a pickup game where he was making plays for other people, the, the people that he's picked on his team. He, he would always make sure that he had the right group of players to play with. They weren't necessarily the best players, but they were ones that fit with him. And that's those guys, like, like you were talking about Steph and I coach LeBron and um, Luca and Kemba, like they're just mentally, they really have an edge and that's what makes them great. So once I saw all that and, and his ability to make other p- people better and, and the size, and he's deceptively fast. And, I mean, he's really, really special. He's a problem. Like, we're talking about James Harden as a problem. Luca's a problem as well. I want to back up a little bit now biographically. I, we know you were a graduate of Brown University. But where'd you go to high school? I don't know. I don't know. So I went to John Jay High School in Westchester, New York. But okay. then after that, I did a postgraduate year at St. Thomas More. Uh, Jerry um, Quinn? Yeah, yeah, I played for JQ. For you did? Quinn. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I played for Jerry Quinn in 92. We had Steve Frazier was our point guard. He went to Miami. Sure. And um, 
Charles Minlin, who went to St. John's. He went to uh, he, he went to St. John's. So we were really good. We were a really, really good team. We had five division or six division one guys on the team. And Jerry Quinn is a obviously a legendary coach yeah. in that small gym in Oakdale, Connecticut. But uh, but yeah, that's where I went to high school. Okay, now we know you have the NBA bloodlines with Dad Paul, but when you were making those bus rides uh, to Cornell, the Ithaca, New York, and the Hanover, New Hampshire, or even up to Harvard, was, was the NBA coaching? It was coaching. What were you thinking about then for a career? <laughs> I was thinking about I passing these hard classes that I'm in <laughs> right now. <laughs> that was my focus. Like, I why did I go to Brown? Exactly. <laughs> I have to figure out a way to graduate from Brown University. So as we were going on those long bus trips, like, okay, I got to make sure that my, my schoolwork is done so I can figure out how I'm going to graduate. But once I graduated, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I knew I loved basketball. I had a great education. And it's funny, Coach Correll, Pete Correll would always be like, why do you want to get into basketball? You have a Brown degree, you know, do something where you can make some money. Like you could go anywhere and be a basketball coach. But I, I had the opportunity to scout after I, in my first three years, I worked for the Retired Players Association. Actually, a Brown grad, Dennis Coleman, was the, um, oh. the executive director of the uh-huh. Retired Players Association. So I worked for him for three years. Uh, and my dad brought me on as a scout. And once I got into the scouting part of it and traveling all over the place and the X's and O's and then working with players, I just loved it. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I was at Brown, but I knew I loved basketball. And as long as I could get that piece of paper from Brown, I, I could do something. How, how eye-opening uh, – was that job with the Retired Players Association, the kind of things that you heard about, the stories, that I guess, that you learned. There must have been, for a young man, that must have been, wow, right? Okay. Some of the stuff, I would think. Yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely eye-opening, especially, I mean, I knew most of the names and a lot of the guys I knew already. You know, we had on our uh, board of directors, Dave DeBusher, Oscar Robertson, Dave Bing, Dave Cowens, um, guys like that. So I, I knew them and, and knew a lot about them but the stories of the guys and at that time we were really trying to work on benefits and pension benefits and uh, making sure that the injuries that they had were, were taken care of and the money part of it was such a was such a big part because those guys didn't make much money at all back oh. then and there really wasn't a, a mechanism within the players association and the cba to make sure that they were getting taken care of even though they were laid the foundation for what was going on so it was definitely eye-opening and some of the letters that i received and some of the requests that i got we had a scholarship fund and, and we got a bunch of requests for the scholarships for the kids of those retired players um who were kind of struggling and, and going through it so it was uh, it was a gratifying experience because we were able to help quite a few uh, retired players, but it was kind of the groundwork for what they've done now. And now they've gotten to where they have health insurance and there's a lot more benefits uh, to being a retired player than there were when I first started with them. How, how concerned, Stephen, are you going into this season about injuries? Again, this team only went into the second round, but – it's still the second round. You're still not dealing with the same amount of time. Um, obviously, Le- LeBron, we know they're going to load manage 
plenty with LeBron and even AD, who's young. How much have you thought about that and even talked to James and Russ about, hey, what do we got to do for you guys early? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question. And I've spoken to a lot of people, our performance team, first and foremost, making sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to how much we're going to do and and whatnot. And then the players, I've talked to all the players and let them know that I'm going to be smart about our ramp up because it's kind of like when we went to the bubble and there was a short period of time and we had to really be smart about how we ramped up so the guys wouldn't deal with injuries and lag and lingering injuries and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's definitely something that we talk about a lot and it's something that I am uh, very cognizant of, but with the 72 game season, there's 10 less games to kind of mess around with. So you have to make sure you're right and you're ready but you can't be injured as, as well. So it's kind of like a fine line that we're walking. And there are a lot of conversations around that. Just kind of feeling them out almost game to game. You think Steven, as much as anything and talking to him throughout the early part of the season, do you need the day? Cause I mean, some, some guys might already have it in their heads, right? No back to backs early, something like that. I, I would assume for you, it's going to be a, feeling out process isn't it yeah it's gonna be a feeling out process a lot of the good thing about us is a lot of the guys have been playing and been working out and and uh john lucas who's here has done a great job kind of keeping guys engaged with their game and their conditioning so uh we do have a little bit of a leg up on that but it's still going to be like you said a work in progress and a lot of communication back and forth between the players myself and the performance team now is the point at our uh, podcast where uh, we play Embarrass the Guest. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> and We've already talked about I, my, I, I, my I've, done my, I've done my homework. <laughs> okay, okay. And I am told that when you were a little toddler, I'm talking two, three, that uh, they would allow you to sit in front of the TV, watch the games. Yep. Dad was playing in Seattle. And that your first words – we're neither mama nor dada, but your first words. Ready for this, Jeff? What you're about to say. Jojo White. What? Come on. No way. That was your first words? My Jojo first White? Word, that's what I was told. My first words. <laughs> when he was in Boston. I misspoke. This is when he was in Boston. When we before in Boston? We, this is before we played the, the Nerf ball game. Okay. Yeah. So first oh. words were Jojo White. I have that on very good authority. And, uh, I don't know where you got that from, <laughs> but... From what I've been told, that is the truth. My first words were Jojo White. <laughs> All right, we'll, 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 we'll cut out of the embarrass the guest uh, portion. Someone I want to ask you about, you were on the ground floor of LeBron's NBA career. Yeah. Is there anything about what he's become that surprises you, or could you see it all unfolding right then and there? No, I didn't see it unfolding right then and there. Uh, he, I knew he was going to be really, really, really good but I don't think you can ever say that somebody's going to be one, two, three, four best player in, in the history of the game. <laughs> you know, um, he was super smart. He, the, when he first came in, the, one of the best things he did was, was pass the ball and that's continued. Um, and he was bigger, stronger, faster at 19 years old, but he's even bigger now. He's even stronger now. He's even faster now. And his basketball IQ I don't think you could ever have um, anticipated that it is. it would be like genius. I mean, you, we'd have thought it would be really, really good, but almost savant-like. Mm. Um, that's hard to 
anticipate that that's going to happen. So I knew he would be amazing all-star, you know, hall of fame potential and, and that sort of thing. And, but to, to know that he would go to all the finals that he's gone to and just take teams and put them on his back and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I would be lying if I said, uh, yeah, for sure. I knew that. To your knowledge, was there any veteran on that team who socially, I mean, you know, took him under his wing or, or that he looked up to uh, for any kind of guidance on anything, but it's basketball or whatever. You know, he, he uh, used to really respect Zadrunas Elgowskis. Big Z. Uh, yeah, yeah, Big Z. And we had a really young team. So I coached summer league and LeBron was on my team and we had Dewan Wagner. We had um, Darius Miles, Carlos Boozer and Sagana Jop. That was my starting five of my. Good old Sagana Jop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my starting five of my summer league team. And unfortunately, that was basically the lineup that we had during the regular season as well. <laughs> so we didn't really win very many games. But, they, but the, the point is that we were a very young team and we didn't really have vets around quite as much. But Z was the one who was there um, and had been established and had been an all-star and uh, really had a good way about him. And uh, LeBron definitely uh, leaned on Z for, for his experience. You're going, I mean, get your, I make, you're going to get your parents out there for your first game? Is that uh, – I hope so, you know, with the with the COVID and everything and the travel and whatnot. Um, I hope I hope they're able to make it out here for the first game. But I want them to be safe first and foremost, and, and they'll be able to watch on TV if not. But I'm praying that come December 22nd they'll be in the building. I want to talk about your dad for a minute. So just for how much you were, you were pretty much too young. You really ever seen him play to register that you can verify it. How much have you seen visual evidence subsequently? So you could get a real feel for, for what he was really truly like on the floor. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, uh, any game that he's playing that's on NBA TV classic or yeah, classic or whatever I watched and I still do watch and, and uh, text him, tell him the game is on, and hey, you got in a fight in this game with so and so, and he won't remember that he got in a fight with whoever <laughs> because he got in so many altercations during his career and didn't even get a technical. You know, he didn't nothing, nothing happened. It'd just be like foul play on. But you know, the triple overtime game is one yep. that's on all the time, and yep, every year him calling the timeout that didn't that Richie Powers decided that's right, Richie Powers. <laughs> the and, um, you know the championship teams in in uh, Boston as well as Seattle I'm very well versed on on my dad's history and the 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 great thing about being in this industry for so long and and being around so many people is there isn't a day that goes by that somebody doesn't mention him I have a story about him or just ask how he's doing or, or that kind of thing so I'm lucky to have the the person who my dad was as lo- along with the coach and the player and all that stuff but it's really really cool because people have so so much respect for him and uh some of it rubs off on me and I'm appreciative of that I really believe he should is a neglected hall of famer uh what he did uh, the way he played the game his style nobody was better at it as a matter of fact um he retired with more rebounds than points yeah and and I don't think I, I didn't done my homework. I'm going to do it. I don't think there's any Hall of Famer can make that statement. And we're talking we're not talking about 
four points and four rebounds either. We're talking about a career 11 rebounds a game guy. And yeah. um, it, it, just tremendous. And it's all first team, all defense. But he, you know what I called him on those teams? And by the way, his four years in Boston, you should have this memory you know, commitment so you can drop this on people. His four years in Boston, the teams just happen to have a record of 238 and 90. <laughs> okay? And included the 68-win team and two rings. And, yeah. and frankly, they should have won in 75 too, but that's another story. Uh, uh, there were the things – and they did win in 76. And they would have won in 73 if Havlicek hadn't gotten hurt against the Knicks. Shoulder, right? So he came really close to winning four rings. Yeah. Um, just a, a, in a 16-year career. And the, the Sonics don't win in 79 without him. There's no way. So, and, and they went to the finals in 78 as well. So right. anyway, I, I, yeah. I, I don't ever, you know, want him to be uh, forgotten at all. And, and right. not that he is, but you know what I'm saying. I want him to sufficiently appreciate it. It's what I'm trying to spit out. Definitely. You know? He's contributed so much to the game. I mean, the 16 years that he played, and I think he only missed the playoffs, maybe just one year out of the 16 years. And I mean, the players that he, he's played with and then the coaching part of it, like you can't really tell the story of the NBA without having no, you're right, that's great. a paragraph about my dad. So um, hopefully at some point the Hall of Fame will, will come calling and that would be an amazing thing for him. I know he's like, oh, you know, whatever, but uh, he, he deserves it to me. He really yeah, does. Yeah, well, you're right. Has he ever, have you ever asked him who the toughest guy is, either one of you, that he ever went up against? Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he used to, him and Wes Unseld used to go at it. Like, yeah. And, and he, he used to say how strong Wes was. And he used to oh, yeah. guard him. And the funny thing is that they were friends off the floor. Like during the summer, they would go on the Players Association trips and that kind of stuff. And then beat the heck out of each other during the, during the regular season and the playoffs and, and uh, West jr. And I are really close friends and he's going to be a head coach soon as well. So uh, we're super close to the, to the unsell family. Although him, his dad and my dad used to just really just beat the crap out of each other. Uh, Steve Kaberski played for the Celtics and he had a line about West Unseld that was great. He said, he sets a pick and it takes you 24 seconds to run around it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. It's a sad uh, we lost him. That, that's a good I'll tell you, though, when, when, when uh, the Celtics made that deal to get Paul, uh, though, the guy that it was a direct result of Dave DeBusher being with the Knicks, they, right. they, he was the Knicks, the DeBusher antidote, and it worked out exactly yeah. as they planned it. It for worked sure. out, but, uh, for, but he, that was a, uh, that was his matchup with the Knicks when DeBusher was the standard of power forward. Yeah. yeah. He, him and Dave DeBusher, because when I worked for a Tire Players Association, I used to be with Dave all the time. And their stories would be epic about the elbows and the grabbing oh. and holding and, and whatnot. And my dad tried to – because he was fast. Like, he was a, a burly type player, but he was fast as well. So Oh, he, he could get up and down the floor. You know, yeah. he had that – because he dropped that – he had that weight loss that, exactly. that transformed him. He, when he went, and that's the thing that tells so much about him. He did that because he knew he was good, but he wanted to be great. And he knew he wasn't going to be great if he didn't lose that weight, and he did. And then he became just an awesome player. And you're right. He was master of getting the ball off the board, pitching it out, and then going to fill in the break, fill in the wing, scoring at the other end. Yeah. Uh, did you ever talk about the la-la? <laughs> I used to call it the backhand layup. He called it the la-la. <laughs> I used to kill him about that. 
I got story. I got Paul Silas stories for uh, now and forever. But uh, he's, he's, he's great. Awesome. And he had plenty of stories about those old days with the St. Louis Hawks. Oh, and they truly yeah. had a no layups. And you know what that means. <laughs> no layups. <laughs> Dude, for sure. And they meant it. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For you sure. know what you got yourself into coming on to this podcast, Steve? Oh, this is amazing. This is like. His memory. Like, this guy's memory is like better than any human being I've ever been around. Bob Ryan is like a walking encyclopedia of no matter what it is, like game six, this playoffs, uh, five minutes. Like, it's ridiculous. I can't remember what I had for lunch today. <laughs> for sure. I'm the same way. But this is awesome because the more stories I hear about my dad, the better. <laughs> I, I love it. All right. We're going we're gonna to finish well, on a lighter note, Bob. Can, can, can we finish with the fact that, Stephen, Bob Ryan, two weeks ago, did not know what a Twix was. How about that? <laughs> never heard of it. Had never heard of it. Really? That's the other thing I found out. Your favorite candy growing up. I'm told. I forget who. Somebody just asked me that a couple of days ago. I don't even know who it was. Maybe my sister or my wife. <laughs> yeah. Or somebody. But uh, but yeah, Twix. Twix. You got the. There we the, go. So two. I got that in your honor. Cream uh, thank you. That looks you good. Go, you got to get the one with the caramel. That's the good right, one. right. The, the original. Yeah. You got to go original. Okay. Yeah. Cookies and cream Twix. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't really know about that. I think you got to go. You got to go old school Twix, Bob. No, okay, no. I'll go next time old school. But there you go. <laughs> Listen, you you there went you from an anonymous an anonymous assistant. To a head coach, so now you're gonna you're gonna get asked all this dumb stuff, like all these things that you you can't even remember, like you know, again, what's your favorite candy bar? Like, come on, these things, nobody asked you that when you're an assistant for 20 years. That's the truth. But the JoJo White one, like that was that that <laughs> aggered me a little bit. I that was I wasn't expecting that one. That's high level research. That is that is. Well, listen, we, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, good luck with everything. Thank Obviously, you. we know this guy's rooting for you as much as anybody. You got another guy rooting for you now, too. Yep. I appreciate so it. We'll get out. Hopefully, when I get out and uh, uh, get to Houston at some point, whether it's this year or next year, we'll, we'll, we'll connect in person, and maybe we can get Bob Ryan to, to take a trip out there, too. That's we can have a rematch of that Nerf ball game, too. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Got to take it easy on him now. Hey, Steve, <laughs> he's a little bit older now. Now you got him, okay? Don't dunk on him. Got him. <laughs> All right, listen. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. This has been so much fun. Likewise, hey, thanks. likewise. Thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it, and uh, all the best, all right? Thank you so much. <laughs>